Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Drew Horning, and on this podcast, we catch up with graduates for conversations around how their internal work in the process is informing their life outside the process, how their spirit and how their love is living in the world around them, their everyday radius. Hey, everybody. Um, today on the Hoffman podcast, we have Joey Bellis. Joey, welcome. Hello, hello. Would you introduce yourself? Yes, my name is Joey Bellis. And when did you do the process? I completed my uh, process in October of 2014. How old were you at the time? I was 29 when I went to the process. Not, not many 20-year-olds are doing the process. We have some, but not many. What, what, uh, what made you want to take the process in your 20s? Well, when I was, uh, you know, my life was in a really sticky spot leading up to age 26. And I had gotten involved with some other personal development courses, which had led me to uh, doing community service work out in Peru. And after returning from Peru uh, my second time, one of my mentors uh, reached out to me and asked me if uh, I would be interested in doing this this uh, program called the Hoffman process. And I was like, yeah, I mean, if you think that I would benefit from it, I trust you, like, let's, let's do it. And so he was, him and his family were like, so kind enough to sponsor me to take the Hoffman process. And because I just felt like I could trust this family and this person and how it all unfolded, uh, I, I trusted it. I trusted the fact that this is where I was supposed to be and this is what I was supposed to be doing. And and in 2014, my life changed, you know? Mm. And what, like, what did you go in with? What was your intention in the work? It was really interesting because it wasn't until I started to fill out all the pre-work uh, at Hoffman that I really started to think about what it is that I wanted to do. I was so, you know, these other courses weren't as in-depth. So I thought it was just going to be like a normal course. And then when I started to read, you know, these oh, different the questions, pre-work. Yeah, the pre-work. And I was like, what did I get myself into? You know, is asking me <laughs> these very hard questions that I've, I, I never took the time to sit with and articulate. And then I realized it was just like why I am the way that I am. And like, whoa, these are the ways that I hide or these are the ways that I cover up. These are the ways that I pretend. These are the ways that I'm being inauthentic. These are the issues that I have with my family. And and then I started to just really think about my life and like, whoa, like this could be a really amazing opportunity for me to completely transform my life. And so that was it wasn't necessarily one. I want to work on a marriage or I want to work on this. It was like. Oh, I actually want to work on my entire life. Hmm. Hmm. And um, you mentioned recently you did um, a graduate intensive. What's that like that 
What's, what was that like for you that, that this work went online during this unique time? What was that like? You know, it, it was it was very interesting uh, to be a part of the virtual grad group. You know, I, I'm a very in-person type of an individual. I like to be around people and, and see them and be with them. And, and so I was a little hesitant. But again, I just I trust the work so much. And it ended up being more powerful than I thought it was going to be, you know, especially when it, when it came to, again, these different prompts or once you've kind of done the process and you know how to dig and you know where to look for and you you see these patterns that do always come up and then for the teachers to be able to coach you and guide you in a way that you're like whoa like it actually is just is powerful it just requires you to be present it requires you to do the work you know without someone necessarily holding your hand and when you do that it's like whoa these different <laughs> these different things unlock inside of you. And I ended up getting so much out of the weekend. And I'm like so grateful that I ended up doing the virtual uh, Q2. You mentioned that part of what you came out of it is a, a desire to start a family, to, to yeah. be in a partnership. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things that I'm really working on maturing as a, as a human. And I mean, it, this goes back to the stuff that I worked on in the process with my relationships with women and kind of how it's been my whole life of not committing or I want to, you know, date this girl and then I want to date this girl. And it's just kind of one of those things I've worked on cleaning up. And now in my life where I want to work on creating my own family, it requires a tremendous amount of maturity and growth emotionally, mentally, financially. And so when I sat down and I and, and was going through my intentions for this virtual grad course, you know, one of the most amazing, I think for me personally, the most amazing thing that I saw is that I still have a very hard time with self-love, self-compassion, self-forgiveness. And mm -hmm. I realized if I can't, I can't accept love. I have a hard time accepting love. I have a hard time accepting forgiveness and compassion and, and how that blocks me up from having intimacy with someone that I want to create a family with. And I was like, whoa, that was such a huge blind spot for me. And if I can't have these things within my own self towards myself, I can't have that with a family. And so it really inspired me to be like, I'm going to spend time working on these things. You know, I want to sit with these things. So that way, when I have this family, I have self-love, I have self-compassion, I have self-forgiveness, so I can provide that for my family unconditionally. And that's, in my eyes, what it takes to have a healthy, functioning family, you know? Joey, um, it's, it's uh, you know, you, you, it sounds like you've done a lot of personal growth work and, and yet the awareness of self-compassion um, surprised you a little bit. And so I guess I wonder, and self-love surprised you a little bit. So wondering, was some of that personal growth work about fixing yourself or uh, something's wrong with you and therefore you have to do the personal growth work? Yeah. One, yeah. One of the most that for me. Yeah. That's it's, I mean, it's spot on. And I think Hoffman really helped me understand that. 
And then what's good for me is like checking back in with Hoffman. I always remember that there's a part of me always that, you know, when I got into personal development work, it was like one course after the next, one book after the next. And it, it became more about how much I knew. Look at how much I know. Look at all these fancy mm. words that I know. Look at, look at all the jargon I have. And I started to realize like, hold on a second, that's a, a mask. It's a disguise. And that I'm trying to quote unquote fix myself versus understanding that I am already whole and complete. I don't need to be fixed. And when I started to like realize that, my personal development work really slowed down instead of, okay, on to the next course. I got to read this next book. I got to have this next coach. And I started to really just look inside of myself and sit with those things. And that's why the, because I just kept blowing by certain lessons like self-love, self-compassion, self-forgiveness. And that's like the foundation. And I'm like, oh, and that's what was surprising for me of like, oh yeah, I always forget to love myself. I always forget to have compassion in myself. I always forget to forgive myself. And if you can't do those three, well, you can't be authentic with yourself. If you're not practicing those three pieces, you're missing, you, you can't be authentic with yourself. You can't recognize where your dark side might show up. You know, so let so let me ask you a question. Then, when you say it began to slow down a little, and you weren't like busily chasing the next thing, I imagine in a way that also sped up your personal growth on a deeper level. Yeah, that's when my my spiritual growth completely took off, and I found myself you know, reconnecting so much with my Native American traditions, which was another huge part of what helped me realize those were patterns that were not helping me. I was like stuck in this loop of fixing versus like just sitting in stillness and silence and breathing and just like really spending a lot of time in deep contemplation or meditation. And I, what and does your um, Native American spirituality look like? Like, how do you honor that uh, tradition and your history and your ethnicity? Yeah. So I guess I'll just backtrack just a little bit to kind of give some context to this. So I was adopted uh, and raised by, you know, quote unquote, white people. And so, you know, my Native American culture was always like it wasn't there. I didn't have anyone to teach me. I didn't know anything about these things. Everyone thought I was like Mexican. And and it was a I didn't realize how important it was to me until after the Hoffman process, when I started to reconnect with my Native American traditions and Native American ancestors. And as I started to learn more about my Native American traditions, I started sitting sweat lodge. You know, I started uh, uh, doing vision quests. You know, I was invited to do peyote ceremonies. Uh, I started to study my Aztec uh, culture, you know, I'm, uh, I got my DNA test results back, so I have this whole lineage of my ancestors in the Aztecs, and the Aztecs mm-hmm. were mushroom shamans, and I started working with uh, psilocybin mushrooms, and that led me to Peru for my fifth time, where I started to work with shamans in Peru and ayahuasca ceremonies, and all of these ceremonies really helped me clear up those things. But what was so fascinating to me, and I'll share this with you, is what 
that it didn't change any of my Hoffman practices. You know, really helped me connect with some of the fundamental pieces that the Hoffman process teaches you. It really served me well when it comes to creating my own spiritual foundation, when it comes to knowing myself, when it comes to listening to my body. So, it, so are you are you saying that that you took some of the practices and some of the Hoffman methodology and integrated it into the Native American traditions? How did that work? Um, it, it, it's, it helped me build a solid foundation and navigate these different, these different Native American traditions in a different way. You know, for example, you know, when I was doing my vision quest, you're out in the desert by yourself for four days with just water. And you're literally just sitting there and you're just like meditating and you're just thinking, you know. And, and a lot of what Hoffman had taught me was just being okay in silence and just thinking and being with your thoughts and listening to your body. If Is my mind taking over too much? You know, it's okay to cry. It's okay to grieve. It's, you know, and so that helped me approach these different pieces when it comes to um, my practice of understanding Native American traditions. You know, and it's, wow. it's different, yeah. it's different yeah. languages and different practices, but Hoffman helped me lay that foundation to really to to hold that space and bring in these Native American traditions into my life. Hmm. Wow. So when you if you allow your mind to wander back to your process experience, is there a moment in time that stands out for you that you still can remember that still lives inside you? I mean, there's uh, there's so much, you know, when I think about that. And I think one of the things of just reflecting on death, you know, memento mori and the kind of life or what things people will say to me when, about me when I die. And, and that really... I mean, I think about it all the time. I wrote a poem. Is that an author? Uh, No, it's a saying. It's remember death. Like always keep Ah. death in mind. And when I got back from the process, I wrote a poem and I performed it on stage. This, what I had wrote at Hoffman process about, you know, two deaths and and looking at my life in a way of like, how do I want to live my life on in in that dark side, you know, or in that light side, or, or how do I find the balance of these things? And, and that, that pra- that drill, you know, the conversation around that at Hoffman, it's I mean, it's always, it's going to be with me till the day that I die, and hopefully I, you know, I'm, I'm working on living that vision as far as what my life I want it to be and what I want people to say about me when my time comes to pass. Wow, so I've heard it uh, referenced as sort of the uh, like the the uh, rocking chair on the porch test it's the end of your life how do you want it to have been lived how do you want uh, people to have uh, remembered you is that part of what you're talking about yeah yeah and especially now just tying it back to my native american ancestors is like i want them to be proud of me you know my ancestors to look down on me and say he lived a good life and he walked this path of learning and growth and and that's what we would want for him. We would want 
this young brother to like live a life of spirit, a spirit led life. You know, when I look back and I die, I want people to know like, man, he, he led a spirit led life, the path of, you know, a warrior for the light, a medicine man, a healer. You know, that's, that's what my aim is. We haven't even really talked about what it is you do for a living. We are starting to kind of share some of that stuff. What, if you would describe your profession, what would it be? Yeah. Um, that's such a, it's so hard, right? It's so hard to what I do. And I'm still learning how to alchemize what it is that I do in my life. But I am a personal trainer. I own a personal training studio uh, and I do sports performance training is my main kind of when I'm working with fitness goes. But then my second main avenue is meditation. I teach meditation to people. I teach breath work. Uh, we do sauna work. We do ice breath work and getting people to, you know, sit and what it means to take on a, a meditation practice. And so those are my my two things. And and teaching people about the body and how important the body is, especially now at a time like, you know, Corona or COVID-19, it's really put on the forefront of how important our health actually is. Like your health is everything. The body is the vessel for the spirit. The body is the vessel for the mind. The body carries the emotions. And so for me, teaching people about the body, and when you take care of the body, you're in tune with it. You can listen to it. You can feel it. You can start to understand it. And I, I love so, that. So, Joey, what, uh, in your experience, what are, what are people, you know, we talk about the body during the process and, and, and expression and the importance of using your voice and your body and your intention. Um, and so much of the process is experiential. But what, in your experience, what are some of the lessons uh, I guess what are the things people aren't doing and what are the things they should be doing? What's, what's the problem out there and what's your solution to the problem? That's a great question. Um, I think as a society, as a whole, we just, we move so fast all the time and we don't take time to just feel our bodies or understand how powerful food is. You know, and like, what are we feeding our bodies and how fast am I eating? Am I sitting down when I eat? Is my body inflamed? Is my body constantly in pain? Is my body always stiff? Am I constantly like aching or, or tired and I have to use, you know, a ton of caffeine or other stimulants to like get me through the day or, you know, like how do I rest my body? How am I resting my mind? And and those are a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and so like one of the best practices I've taken up is like fasting. And what fasting did for me is really show me how I use these crutches and prop my life up. And as I started to remove these things from my life, I realized how fast I was moving and how much pain my body was in. And how much how many days pain. will you fast? What does fasting look like for you? Well, when I, when I started off, I do intermittent, I did intermittent fasting and I would do, you know, 16 to 18 hour fast. And what brought fasting into my life was working with the shaman out in Peru. And when I got back, I realized, whoa, how, how much of an emotional eater that I was. And I realized that I wanted to really practice this, you know, working on 
helping me be the, uh, you know, I wanted to take these these practices that I've learned from Hoffman or these other things and be like, hey, I can be the best version of myself even if I don't have food. And so for the past three years, I've been really working on fasting throughout the year and I ended up building, you know, I did a seven-day water fast and then I did a nine-day water fast. And then this year, I did uh, an 11-day water fast where I just did water for 11 now, What's days. that like for you as you get to that 9, 10, 11th day? What, what do you notice that happens? Um, I think the most, the most amazing thing for me is when that happens is that I realize that I'm not as impulsive as I maybe always think that I am. And that I'm able to serve others. I'm able to hold space for people, even when I'm not getting a basic essential need met. Um, I realize when I'm like on my ninth, tenth day, when I'm around people that I love or in my own business or teaching a meditation class, how much energy I'm actually filled with. And I, I, when I talk about fasting, I tell people it's a really good way to get in tune with your body as far as a compass that you're on the right path. You know, it's like my body is, I'm just so energized when I'm doing the things that I love and it like opens up a channel inside of me that's like, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing because I'm in flow state, you know, and I can feel it that I'm in flow state because I have nothing in my body other than this uh, energetic charge that my life is providing me. And so it inspires me. So part of what you're saying there is that you, uh, this it's almost like a myth that I need food for energy. And what you realize on those later days is you got, you don't need food. You have plenty of energy. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Energy, emotional, spiritual, and mental energy I have, right? There's a physical energy. Like I'm not necessarily working out like I would, you know? So there's a physical aspect to it. You know, I'm definitely moving a lot slower. Um, it takes me, you know, I, I, I just am aware of that. But when it comes to emotional and spiritual and mental energy, when I'm doing the things that I love on those later days, it's like I'm I'm locked in. You know, I'm in that flow state all the time. People talk about presence. And, and part of what I hear there is that flow state also has deep presence for yourself and those around you. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and you're a lot more aware of it. Because you're like, I shouldn't be this energized, but I am. And then you realize it's like, oh, that's the flow state. And because I have nothing really to distract me internally or like impulsively, I can actually be really present to that, what it feels like to be in flow state around these people or in this environment. How, how can I, you know, be in this in my life more often? Beautiful. So, Joey, people talk about how it's a continuous journey, how you're never there. You've got to continue to do the work. What does that look like for you in real time? Not as a philosophy, but as a, as a practice or, you know, if we were to, to see your life, how would we know that you haven't arrived, but that you're still a work in progress. How would, how could we yeah. tell that? I have two really good examples. That's such a good question. I think for me, what I learned is that when I went to any of these courses or the jungle or my Native American practices, I always, you know, I, they're always isolated, 
And so my own personal philosophy has always been like, hey, I can I can do fasting in the jungle, but if I can't fast when there's temptation everywhere I look, well, then I'm not actually an integrated human being. I need to integrate these things in my life while I'm living my life. And so for me, the physical part is easy, right? I'm at my personal training studio. So you see me working out four days a week, five days a week. You know, I get in the ice baths. I do the meditation work in the saunas. I, I lead the classes. I'm doing the breath work. And so it's like I, I, I personally live my life by example, you know, when it comes to the fasting even. Like people will be like, you're fasting. It's on day nine. You're at work. I'm like, well, yeah, I want to show you guys this is how it can be done. And then, like, for example, this weekend, you know, I was, like, getting done with my training, and I had the opportunity to go out and uh, work on a, a medicine wheel, a Lakota Native American wet medicine wheel. And at the night, I just stayed up all night. I stayed up at the night medicine wheel, and I prayed. I prayed, and I stayed in songs at night. All I slept outside. Long. Yeah, all night long. I stayed out there, and I prayed, and I sang songs, and I and then I slept and under the stars. Can you like, describe what a medicine wheel looks like? So medic medicine wheel is a circle, uh, and it's on the ground or on the earth, depending on, on where you're at. And it's com comprised of – made up of four parts, a north, an east, a south, and a west, so the four directions. And the four directions symbolize different parts uh, depending on the Native American tradition. They have different colors. They have different teachings and different lessons. And this particular medicine wheel was a Lakota medicine wheel. And the East in all Native American traditions are, are the beginning. So the East is the beginning. And so for me, when I went out there and I prayed, I actually sat in the East because I wanted my life to begin with love. I wanted to work on this foundation of self-love that I learned that I need more of from the virtual Hoffman process. And so when I left the virtual Hoffman class or when I, it ended, I knew that I was going to go out to this medicine wheel and I was going to sit in the East and I was going to pray about self-love. And that's what I did. And so for me, that's how I take these teachings and these lessons and apply them into my life that I'll set time aside, whether it's daily uh, or take time out of my life and make a sacrifice of a sleep or, hey, I want to do this. It's the first weekend that Arizona's open and I want to go to a restaurant. Well, it's like I could do that, but I need to make these certain sacrifices if I want to integrate these teachings into my life. And I think for me, I've learned that in order to live a spirit-led life, it requires a tremendous amount of sacrifice. And, mm -hmm. and I'm beginning to really be okay with that. And so that's how I incorporate these things. Did you used to fight that? that oh, that, yeah. In fact, sacrifice <laughs> is important. Yeah, it's like, oh, I read this book. That's great. On to the next book versus like, well, hey, maybe you should wake up in the morning now and, and do this. Or maybe you should like uh, spend time every day journaling. Or maybe you should. And I'm like, nah, you know, I'll just read the next book. And that's where it was. Like it wasn't necessarily about integrating these lessons and these teachings. It was more of like, okay, what's the next one? Okay, what's the next one? And when my Native American, uh, my Native American grandmothers, uh, you know, they would always tell me, grandson, you need to slow down. Like grandson, you need to slow down. And I, in the past year and a half, it's like I really understand that of what it means to slow down. And I, I couldn't be more grateful for that teaching from them. And all these practices help me slow down. You know, sweat lodge helps me slow down. 
Fasting helps me slow down. Staying up at night and praying at the medicine well helps me slow down. To be like, oh yeah, it's about the process. It's not about, because the process doesn't end. And that's what I love about the, the, the Hoffman process. It's a forever, your life is a constant process. It's not a onto the next, onto the next, it's onto the next. Hey, it's okay if this one takes time. It's okay if this one lesson takes years. It's okay. And that's the compassion part. And that's the forgiveness part. It's like, oh yeah, it is okay. And what is your version of that beyond the slowing down? What are you allowing the slow down to support you in learning? That's a really good question. <laughs> that was a pause right there. Yeah, yeah, because I think those fundamental pieces, the love and the compassion and the forgiveness, they could, you know, those are the, the, the pieces of life. And the slowing down really makes me want, not want, makes, has made me realize that I don't want to speed past those things. Because no matter where I'm at in my life, if I approach my life with any situation with love, compassion, and forgiveness, it helps me live a more self-authentic life, which for me personally is a spirit-led life. And each time I forget that, you know, it's like back into the medicine wheel, back into the Tao, back into these really powerful spiritual practices that have changed my life of like, man, I might be frustrated or I might feel like a failure or, or I might be experiencing these things. How can I look at this situation with love, with compassion and forgiveness for self and then onto others? And I can't speed past that because those are infinite. They're forever unfolding. And that has, I mean, just like I said, the past three weeks has totally shifted my life. You know, mm -hmm. if I, if I'm running a little bit late or I, for, you know, I forget something or it's like, hold on a second, breathe, go back to your breath work, feel your body, you know, quad check real quick, de-energize. And how can I approach this situation with love, compassion and forgiveness? And then I feel like, whoa, back in. Okay, I'm back in it. So, so connecting a lot of that to your identity and your spiritual practice as a Native American, what's that been like for you personally? You talked a little about some people thinking you were Mexican. And, and is it you live in Arizona, yes? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what's that what what's that like for you to become more connected to your native american ancestry man it's uh um it's the most meaningful thing in my life you know like uh Are there some feelings as you reflect yeah, on this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like... Um, what do you so, feel? It's just like I feel so grateful. You know, like when you read the history of this country, it's awful what happened to Native Americans. And part of me gets filled with a lot of anger because it's not talked about. It's not talked about in schools. It's not talked about in politics. 
it's just like completely overlooked with the genocide that happened here with Native Americans and what happened with them and their traditions and their cultures and their language and their music and their songs and their medicine. And, uh, and so as I learned more about my Apache ancestors and my Mojave ancestors and my Aztec ancestors, and it's like an honor and it's really meaningful to me. And that's why I like talk about it so much because I want people to understand Native American tradition, Native American culture. And it's, you know, it's changed my life in such a dramatic way, learning these things and these practices that I just love it, you know? Joey, I'm, I'm struck by this, um, the duality of, on one hand, the gratitude you feel for that reconnection and the strength, the power, the the deepening connection to your spirit. Um, and at the same time, an increased awareness of the trauma uh, perpetrated by white people in this country on Native Americans and their culture. That How do you reconcile that? Both those. That's um, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard, you know. And, and I, when I have these conversations, whether it's with Native Americans or quote unquote white people, you know, I don't look at race like a skin color. You know, I look at race as like a, a state of mind, you know, because the people who took me in were white people. You know, some of my greatest mentors are white people, and I don't, I don't look at it as like a skin thing. It's more of like a mentality thing, and. And reading these Native American books has really helped me balance that out of like understanding and looking in the dark things, looking at these things that are really hurtful or lied about or covered up. And that's where I have to come back to love, compassion and forgiveness. I have to come back to those things. I mean, I don't, you know, it's not a forced thing, but I can't hold on to when these things. When you say have to, right? you choose to. Correct. Correct. Because I know that's the only way to heal. You know, I, that's, I think, at the Hoffman process, it's like I realized how much trauma I held on to, how much trauma went unrecognized, how much trauma I didn't want to look at. And that just builds up inside of you physically, mentally, emotionally, and it, and it completely blocks you spiritually. And as I let these things go, you know, because – just if you pick up any history book around the world, there's awful things that happen to everyone around the world. So it's not – it helps me put things into perspective. But as a Native American, it's my responsibility to learn about these things, honor these things, and help myself or myself and others learn about forgiveness and compassion and love and, and create a better world and a better environment for people to live in or to have these types of conversations without – it's not me versus you, you know, it's like we're in this together and let's work on these things together as a community, as a whole. Joey, have you, has that changed your circle of friends or as you've spoken up more about this, how has that been received by those around you? You know, I think anytime you start to walk a spiritual life, you lose people and you gain people. And there are some really meaningful people as I started to get into my Native American traditions and speak about these things that 
they didn't like it. You know, they didn't, they couldn't hold space for that. And they're not a part of my life. And that's hard, you know, but I have a lot of people and new people and I'm bringing in, you know, different teachers now that I realize anytime, yeah, you're living an authentic life or a spirit led life, that that's part of it. You know, that's part of the shedding. That's part of the growing. And, you know, my personal experience has been, it's okay. And if those people come back around, they come back around. And if not, they help me get to where I'm at, you know, and I have other people now that continuously support me, you know, and want to see me grow and want to see me walk this path. And that's just as meaningful, you know? Joey, I am so grateful for this conversation and I'm curious, what's it like to reflect on all these things during during this con- conversation? I'll share something from the Hoffman process. I got this animal from the Hoffman process. It was like a unicorn. And even now it sits on my altar and it makes me think that my life is like a life of a unicorn. You know, there's things, and obviously we didn't get into them today, but that my life is like, how is that even real? How, how you can't even write that in a book, you know? And it just really makes me grateful for my life. All of it, all of the good, all of the bad, because all those experiences shaped my existence. It, it really makes me appreciate the uniqueness of my life and how much I love it with all of it, all of the struggles I've been through and the addictions and the trauma and the abuse and the letdown and like everything, because that's what makes me who I am to be able to have mm. this conversation and have these beautiful teachers in my life and walk this path. It, it humbles me. It makes me emotional, yeah. you know, and, and which is why I want to live this life, mm. a spirit led life. It's why I want to live that way. Hey, Joey, I uh, know we're out of time, but I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for your willingness to share so much. Yeah, thank you for for having me on. It's an honor to speak on behalf of the Hoffman process because it's it's such a meaningful part of my life. And, you know, it's like a practice that I still do, things I still do every day. And uh I have nothing but amazing things to say about the Hoffman process. And so it's like an absolute honor for me to have this conversation with you. our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.